Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. All right. I am uh, excited to, to be here with you guys. I want to say hello to everybody watching online as well. Um, I don't know about you guys. I'm not really big into the whole Oscars. Uh, I think it was just this past week. Uh, very seldom are the movies that I watch uh, really being honored in the Oscars. Although this year, I think a movie that I really like, Top Gun Maverick, was like up for some Oscars. So that was pretty cool. I guess y'all weren't impressed. Okay, all right. Well, I liked it. Fine, be that way. But uh, anyway, the Oscars came around, and since you you know you think about Oscars, you think about you know high art films that have like maybe this deep underlying meaning. And so when a movie like that comes to mind, the very first movie that actually does come to my mind has a certain line in it, and it says, "You silly English pig dogs." Does anybody know what movie I'm talking about? Monty Python, the Holy Grail. That's right. Think of Oscars. You think of that movie. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but it is a movie that will change your life. Not maybe the way you're thinking, but it will change your life. It's a, don't put a down thumb that. No, no. It is a silly, silly, silly movie, uh, but it is a, a fun thing to laugh at. I'll be honest, it's actually more fun to talk about and with friends who've watched it and watch it with them than it is to watch it, if I'm just being really honest, but I love the movie. But there's a line in it, and it's, it's one of the silliest parts. There are these French knights that are in a castle, and these English knights come up, King Arthur and some of his you know, ragtag band, they come up, and they approach this castle, and this uh, actor, John Cleese, comes over the looking over the wall, acting like a French knight, and he starts just endlessly just taunting these English knights, King Arthur and all the rest of them. And one of the lines he comes out with is, you silly English pig dogs. And then he says, probably my next favorite, actually my favorite line, he calls them, or he says this, he says, your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. If you're ever in like a, a flame war fighting with somebody, that's what you say to them. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. If you can say it in a ridiculous French accent, then even better, because that's what it was in the movie. But I'll tell you one thing. The reason I tell you that is not because I'm totally pointless. I do have a point for this. The reason I talk about a pig dog is because whether you know it or not, that line actually has its origins in the Bible. Did you know that? In a sense, I, I, I'm being a little, I'm reaching a little bit, but not too much. It comes actually from Scripture, Second Peter chapter two, verse twenty-two. If you want, if you're having trouble remembering Scripture, there's one you can remember. Second Peter, chapter two, verse twenty-two. The prove, excuse me, they prove the truth of this proverb: a dog returns to its vomit. And another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. So he calls these people who go back into their old way of sin, basically a pig dog or a dog pig, whichever you want, way you want to look at it. He calls them this, and he says that's what they're being like. So, you know, you guys thought mama jokes were tough. Anybody used to tell mama jokes? I don't know if you're allowed to say those anymore. We're not allowed to say a lot of things anymore. But, you know, you used to do your mama and all that. But you can't say that kind of stuff anymore. So pig dog is a good little uh, put down if you, want to see, if you want to call somebody that. Or remember the line? What's the line? Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. Right. But here's why I'm talking about this. 
Last week, we talked about this powerful truth that you have everything that you need in Christ Jesus. Remember that? I hope you remember. I hope you remember that, that point that we need to just pound into our brains, that we have everything that we need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. When you're in Christ, you've got all you need. So what does that do? Now, this is the scary part. It throws out all excuses. Once you come into Christ, it throws out all excuses. You're like, there's nothing more that you have to find, that you have to search for. You have everything once you are in Jesus. Now, the problem is, is that our flesh tries to come back, and what the rest of that chapter talked about, or that passage talked about, was you need to add some things to your faith, right? If not, you're going to be unproductive, and you're going to be useless. And that's what we talked about in, in first Peter, or excuse me, second Peter chapter one. Now what's interesting is at the end of that passage, we didn't really get into this part. And so we're picking up a little bit in chapter one today. I want you to hear this. He basically says this, Peter, this apostle. Now oh, let's pause right here for a second. If you know anything about the Gospels, if you know anything about the apostles, you know, the, the original 12 disciples that were chosen to, to be the, the guiders and the leaders of the church that, that preached the sermon on the, the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the church, Peter was the main spokesman there. If you know anything about these guys, they were all a bunch of misfits, right? Peter could very well been called a what? What's the word, the phrase, the put down? A pig dog because he rejected Jesus he denied him and ran away and you know called down curses on himself and he could easily say it so he's not casting a stone that hasn't hit him too as well right you understand what I'm saying he's saying I you know this is my paraphrase but he's saying I was a pig dog you don't need to be a pig dog don't go back to your old ways and so what he says at the end of chapter one is this this is my paraphrase as well remind one another of the basics remind one another of the basics the reason I say that is because if you're new to church it's probably not a big deal for you but a lot of times, once you come, come to church for a while, maybe you've been around for a few years, sometimes we get a little bit prideful and a little bit arrogant. We start to know a little bit and we think, okay, I've got all that basic stuff. I've got all that basic stuff. I want some deeper stuff. And so we start looking into numbers and symbols and we start trying to figure out all kinds of stuff. And it's like, if you hold the Bible and you put a leg up like this and get the light just right on it. Uh, you know, then I'll, I'll understand something deeper. And I'm not like all y'all little peons, all y'all little pig dogs. You know, your mother was a hamster, your father smelled of elderberry people. I'm not like y'all. I've got, I need some deeper truth. I need some real, real truth. But what we see in scripture over and over, it says, yes, you need to move from milk to meat. But there's a place where Paul talks about going back and reminding each other of things. And guess what Peter says right here? He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, you can read along with me. It's going to be on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible, on your Bible app. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Now, just to back up again, what, what did he say? He goes through all these simple things. He says, you have all you need in Jesus. Add all these things to your faith. And I'm not going to go through them all. You can read through chapter 1 at your own pace again and remind yourself. But he talks about adding love and brotherly love and kindness and virtue and, and all these things. Those are simple things, right? Those aren't really deep, deep, deep spiritual principles. But what does he say to remind one another about? Remind you about these things even though, even though you already know them, he says. 
and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. Why? That's so boring. I need something deeper. You know, I've been there. I've done that. I've had that attitude at times. But why? Why is he saying I need to do this? Because here's a truth that I want you to get, that I need to get, you need to get. There's a difference between knowing what to do and doing what you're supposed to do. Mm Mm-hmm. There is a difference between knowing what you're supposed to do and doing what you're supposed to do. And we, as people, as human beings, really, really struggle with knowing what we're supposed to do and doing what we're supposed to do. When you go out and you um, take a left out of the uh, Mingo Bluff here, you turn on the Hodge Road, and you go down to these exits, you get on 87, you get on 540, pretty much everybody knows that there's these little rectangular signs that say 70 miles per hour. But most people don't do 70 miles per hour, dude. Some of y'all be doing 55, and that really makes me mad. But a lot of people are doing 85 and 90 miles an hour. And we know what the sign says, but that doesn't mean that we do it, right? And I can be just as guilty of that. But you get my point here. It's easy to know the right things, but it's a different thing to do the right thing. So he says, I'm going to remind you as long as I live, because we need these reminders to do these things. Even though they're simple, even though they're basic, we need to do them. Verse 14. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. Do you think he was worried about his repetition? No, he's saying, I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to tell you over and over and over and over again. And then you go through verses 16 through 18. There, there's a lot of scripture in this sermon today. And so I'm actually going to hit a couple of highlights here. Uh, and we're going to really spend a lot of time looking at some scripture. But 16 through 18, Peter basically reminds him... I was there at the transfiguration. If you don't know what the transfiguration is, that's when Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain with Jesus and Elijah and Moses appear. And Peter, being Peter, always is like, I'm going to say something. It might be dumb, but I'm going to say it. And he's like, I'm going to build some tents. I, you know, it's a good thing I'm here. And Jesus is like, you know, you're missing a point here. And God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Basically the same thing roughly that he said when Jesus was baptized and he started his ministry. He's like, that was the beginning of his ministry. Here's the part where it's getting ready to take a whole nother level. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And he says, this is my beloved son. And so he says, that's what I was there for. It. I know what it was. I saw that thing. This is really cool. And ultimately, here's the message that we need to get from this next section we're going to talk about. He ultimately is saying, know God's word. The reason I said this, and the reason I said everything that Peter just said about reminding, is sometimes, I know how y'all think. If I get up here and I talk about we need to read our Bibles every day, some of y'all are like, oh, here we go again. Because I've been there. I've been where you've been. And I am still sometimes where you are when I'm like, I just don't want to read my Bible today. And you might be thinking, that's just so simple. That's so simple. But what do we say? It's easy to what? Know what to do and not do what we're supposed to do. And so Peter is saying, I'm going to remind you of these things. We have to know God's word. And we're going to talk really in depth about why that's important. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 of chapter 1, 
It says, because of that experience, him being up on the Mount of Transfiguration, hearing the voice of God, this is my beloved son, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. He's saying the Old Testament prophets pointed to Jesus, and if you have any doubt, I was there. I saw that God said, this is him. He's the one you've been waiting for. Everybody, everybody following with me? He says, you must play, pay close attention to what they wrote, the Old Testament prophets, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Verse 20, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, when we're talking about Old Testament prophets, and I, I believe in, in some ways this applies to people that might would claim to be a New Testament prophet. But in the Old Testament prophet, guess what your batting average needed to be for you to be a godly prophet? 1,000. You need to be batting 1,000. That means you got 100% of your prophecies correct. Guess what the, pen the penalty or the punishment was if you got a prophecy wrong? You didn't go back to the dugout and whine and complain because you struck out. You got stoned to death. So you better make sure if you're speaking, claiming to be speaking for God, that guess who you're speaking for? God. And so he's saying, we can know. These people, they knew what they were saying. Every prophecy that comes from God, a real prophet, didn't come from that, perfect, that person, that prophet's own, own volition, own will, own mm, umph. You know, they didn't make up the message. God spoke through them. Now, they had a choice to speak it or not, but they spoke as God gave them this message. And so what we need to understand is this. He moves on. He says, they were, not, uh, they were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Why is this important? Here's why it's important. Because false teachers are going to be everywhere. I, I mention this from time to time because our culture has really devolved into this idea of there's no absolute truth. You hear it and you see the effects of it everywhere you turn. It's like, oh, you know, you can have your truth and I can have my truth. One of the simplest ways for me to just sort of combat that whole idea that there's, you know, different truths, you can have your truth, is like, you know, everybody thinks that if somebody needs to steal something, they can go ahead and steal it. It's okay until somebody's breaking into their house at two in the morning. And then they start developing strong opinions about what's right and wrong. Am I right? You know, when your family is looking down the barrel of a gun because somebody's trying to hurt them, then you start having really strong feelings about what's wrong and what's right. And, and that can extrapolate to all sorts of ideas. But we must know God's word because false teachers are everywhere. Second Peter chapter 2. We're going into chapter 2 now. Because we had to bridge that part because it's all tied together. But there were also false prophets in Israel just as there will be false teachers among you. We cannot believe that false teachers were something only in the Old Testament. Some of y'all are, are glazing over on this. This is so vitally important. The church is, at, and I'm saying big C church. I believe our church is healthy and our church is growing, but the big C church is struggling mightily because we don't admit that there are false teachers out there. 
And he says, there were false teachers of the, uh, in Israel. There will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who brought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. You and I need to own up to the truth that even in the early, early, early days of the church, that there were already false teachers coming in and teaching things that were deceptive and tricky and would catch people and they would lead to destruction. How much more do you think that's a possibility in 2,000 years later? It's so real and it's so here. We need to make sure we're looking and paying attention. Here's why acknowledging the, pro, uh, the presence of false teaching is so important. Because let's be honest, it, it's tempting to ignore the problem, isn't it? Have you ever done that? Um, have you ever just tried to ignore a problem hoping it goes away? You know, um, I, you know, I have cars that aren't always the nicest cars. I'm thankful for them. They you know, normally get me from point A to point B and normally don't leave me stranded, but they have issues. And there's a lot of times I'm tempted when the dashboard's glowing like a Christmas tree to just take some electrical tape and cover over that light, right? You know, and maybe you don't do that, and I've never done that, but do we sort of do that with life sometimes? We sort of cover over the, the warning light that we see, and it's like, ah, I'm just going to ignore it. It'll get better. You know, as you get a certain age, this morning, I tweaked my back, and by the grace of God and ibuprofen, it's sort of loosened up a little bit, and that's why I've been moving around a little bit. And I even did that one-leg balance thing, and it didn't hurt. But, you know, as you get older, the warning light sort of comes on on your body, and you can try to ignore it, and you just say, I'm going to walk different, <laughs> you know? But we need to address problems, and there's a problem that we need to address in the Lord's church. And he goes on in verse 2. Here's why it's so important to address false teaching. Look at verse 2 with me. Chapter 2, verse 2. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality, and because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. Peter mentions three things in that verse. He says, many will follow their evil teaching. What's that first word? Many. We need to pay attention to whether things are true or not because many will follow their destructive, evil teaching. See, false gospels and false doctrines are one form of false teaching, and they are deadly spiritually. They can be deadly spiritually. They hurt so many people. And it says that how many? Many follow after them. Jesus basically told us this uh, as he was preaching in his ministry. He said that the road to life is what? Narrow. And few will enter through those gates. He said, but the road that leads to destruction is what? Wide and broad. And many will enter through it. You know, he said many will be led away. And then he says this other idea Peter does. He says many will follow their immorality. Because false teaching isn't always just false biblical teaching and doctrine it can also be immorality of different sorts and how many does it say will follow many that's not a few that's many immorality and watering down of God's standard is also false teaching if you go through and you read in the book of Corinthians uh, the first letter to Corinthians that church was dealing with sexual sin and it, you see the dangers of sexual sin. And just like the church at Corinth, the modern church has often winked at sexual sin that they found okay and then want to condemn other people for other sexual sin. It's just true. We have lowered God's standards at many times. And we said, well, this kind of sexual sin is okay, but this kind of sexual sin, we really need to put a foot down. And the truth is, if it's sin, it's sin. 
And we need to call it out in a loving and a kind way, but nonetheless, we need to call out sin for what it is. You know, we have to make no mistake that that God created sex to be cherished between a husband and a wife and enjoyed even. And all God's people said, amen. I don't know if there's any kids in here or not. But it's true. But when we misuse it, Outside those bounds, it introduces heartache and confusion and pain. You see, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because this is one small part of it. But so many people reject God and they say, he just wants to destroy my fun. It's like, no, he wants you to have fun. He wants you to have life to the full, abundant. He wants you to experience all these good things in the perfect way, in the perfect time, in the perfect avenue. God created it to be good, and he wants you to understand it the way he wants you to understand it. God has a better way. And just like the church at Corinth was excusing sin, if we do, what's the other thing Peter said there in that verse? The truth will be slandered. He said that's the real danger, is that many will follow the destructive teachings, many will follow the immorality, and the truth of God will be slandered. So nobody will respect the truth if the church doesn't hold up truth and look for truth and fight for the truth. The truth after a lie sounds like a lie. You know that? If somebody tells you a lie first, and then somebody comes up and tells you the truth, what are you more inclined to believe? The lie, because you heard it first. And so the church, I'm saying Big C Church, needs to be out there telling the truth about everything, about the gospel of Jesus to everybody so that when people hear it, it doesn't sound like a lie because it's come after a lie. And I believe that lack of biblical knowledge is leading to the collapse of our society because people don't know what God says about anything. And people have believed such heartbreaking things about their identities, about their sin, and about who God is or who God isn't. And it's time for the church in a loving and a compassionate way to tell the truth in love as we earn the right to be heard. That's what the church is called to do. And I believe, though, because of this, the church has to speak the truth in love more than ever. We say this plenty of times, but I think it bears repeating is that you don't need to tell the truth in such a way that people can say, you're really just a jerk. You don't do that. Now, they they may say that about you if you do everything you can to love them and tell them in a loving kind way. They may call you a jerk, and you can't help that. But as far as it depends on you and me, let's do it in a way that we can be as compassionate and kind and loving as we can. Sometimes the truth is hard and love can be difficult, but we need to do it as best we can. But speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, not, this isn't going to be on your screen. Listen to this really closely. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, uh, 14 and 15 says this, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. We need to make sure that we are studying and sharing and loving and living truth. And it will not be easy. 
I'm not going to stand up here and sugarcoat it for you. I'm not, you know, because that would be dishonest and you know it's not true. It's not easy to stand up and tell the truth in love because many times what can happen is just like when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 7, when you tell people the truth, even in a kind and loving way, they may plug their ears and they may run yelling and screaming at you. And we see it in our, in our society. There's no better place to see it than on social media. Am I right? If you say anything that goes against culture and their beliefs and their views, you are labeled a horrible person, and it's like people are plugging their ears and running and screaming at you. And they may even try to pick up and throw verbal stones at you. And we need to know that. We need to know that when we stand up for truth in a loving way, that people are not going to like it at times, but there will be some that do. And there will be some that want to hear what we have to say. And there are, there's good news, because here's the good news. And it may sound bad at first, but listen to me. God will punish those who don't repent, and God will save those that do. Now, hold on. Bear with me. Don't don't think I'm being some judgmental jerk, because I tell people this all the time. It's like, you you need to know that there are people that are lost and going to hell, but you don't need to live like you enjoy it. We don't need to live like we enjoy that people are going to hell. So that's not not the end point of what I'm trying to say here. Listen to me in verse 3. In their greed, they will make up clever lies. That's the second time we've used this. Paul said it in Ephesians, and now Peter's saying again in chapter 3 of 2 Peter chapter 2. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, into gloomy pits of darkness, where they're being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world, excuse me, the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. And then in verse 6, later God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes and he made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. Now, there's three examples there. He talked about the angels who rebelled. He talked about the people in the days of the flood. And he talked about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah who were just sinful and they were punished for it. So he simply doesn't punish those who reject him. He also saves those who repent. He pointed out how he saved Noah and his family. He pointed out how he saved Lot and he saved these different people. And here's where it goes on in verse 7 more specifically. For God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was righteous, a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and he heard day after day. So you see the Lord Lord knows how to rescue godly people. And if I lost you in all that scripture, I want you to hear that. The Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping this wicked, uh, the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But here's why I said I'm not just trying to say, oh, yeah, people are being punished and some people are being saved. I'm not saying, oh, good, those people are being punished and we get off scot-free. I love how God ties things together and Tyler's communion talk just meshes perfectly with this. Because you know what passage comes to my mind? Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Guess who deserves to be punished? You can raise your hand too if you feel like. Because we all deserve to be punished. We all deserve to be punished for our sin. Our sins have separated us from God. Every single one of us, we all have done it. And that's why it's good news because anybody who sins can still be forgiven and free. Anybody. And God knows how to rescue the godly. And here's the good thing is that godly is not based on anything that you really do other than surrendering to Jesus. You don't have to figure it out right, and you don't have to attend church your whole life, and then, you know, if you first time you ever darken the door of a church is when you're 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90. It doesn't matter. When you come to Jesus, that's what matters. If you did it when you were 5 or 10 or 20 or you, or you do it now, it doesn't matter. Come to Jesus, and he will make it right. Verse 12. I told you it's a lot of Scripture, but we like Scripture. Verse 12. These false teachers are like unthinking animals. He's back on these false teachers. They're creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they've done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight, just like what he described earlier. They are disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception. Even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals, they commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. It sounds like our world and our culture, but he's talking about people in the church too. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. Now I want you to take note of a couple of things right there. One thing is this, unstable people. You know what that means based on a lot of other scriptures, some we've already read and then some we don't have time to read today? I believe unstable people are people that are not grounded in the word of God. You know, you're not grounded in the word of God. So that's why it's so vital for each of us to be grounded and spend time in the word of God every day, even just a small time in the word of God every day. So it's filling us up and grounding us so that we will not be unstable and easily dissuaded and easily tricked and easily deceived. That's why we're to remind one another of the truth of God's word. And here, if man, he, he's laying it on thick. He triples down on these false teachers. Look at verse 17. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. It's heavy, isn't it? I'm not going to sit here and say it's not heavy. I'm not going to say it's not scary. But one of the things that I think we need to understand is this. I heard this said, and it was by somebody I'm sure well-meaning. It was something on social media, not anybody I knew. But they said something to the effect of this. They said, all of Satan's lies are just that. They are outright lies. And I'm like, eh, false. Satan knows how to take a lie and put just enough truth in it to deceive us and to trick us. Look back to the first time we see an interaction that he had with any person back with Adam and Eve in the garden. He said a little bit of truth. He knew scripture. 
He quoted scripture to Jesus when he was tempting him, but he put a little bit of a twist on it. So don't think that anytime there's a temptation that's coming your way, that it's going to have like this big, big warning light, big X over it, big stop sign. That's not the way it works, right? We don't like dangle naked hooks in the water when we want to catch fish, do we? We put what? Bait on the hook because we don't want them to, you know, what fish except the really dumb ones that you probably don't want to eat, they probably don't taste good, are going to come bite a bare hook. You know, in the same way with our sin, we have to make sure that we realize that we are going to be deceived if we're not careful. We need to be grounded in the word of God. And here's what it is. I'm, I'm almost to the end. And I know you're ready. It's easy. It's easy to get comfortable in our silence. You know, when we see things, wickedness like he describes here, in the church, in the world, in the culture, it's easy to get comfortable in our silence and we think, oh, somebody else will speak up. That's not really my thing. There's some more bold people that could do it. There's people that know stuff better than me. They, they, they just are better with words. They know more Bible. And, and we've got all kinds of reasons. And, or, you know, maybe that person is, they'll figure it out. I, I just, I don't really want to say anything. And it's really comfortable in our silence. It's not fun to tell people difficult truth. And let's be honest, most of us like to be liked. Most of us like to be liked. But look at verse 20. It says, and when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. You see, here's the end result of the false teachers. He's been hammering the false teachers, and now he's given us the payoff here. He's saying, this is why it's so important. And I know we've already talked about why it's so important, but here's exactly why he's saying it's important. He says, when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and get tangled up and enslaved in sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. He's saying when people who are believers, who are Christians, are deceived and decide to walk away and reject the truth of God's word, it's worse than that they never become a Christian in the first place. That, my friends, is scary. And that's why we have to be grounded in the word. That's why we have to stand for truth. That's why we have to know truth and share truth in love. Because there's nothing worse than someone following Jesus being distracted and deceived and choosing to reject Jesus. Verse 22, where we started off, they prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another says a washed pig returns to the mud. Don't be a pig dog. <laughs> Don't go back to your old way of life don't watch idly as others do the same thing, going back to their old way of life. And here's, here's why it's important. Here's why I know it's a challenge. Because the mud can be comfortable, can it? I'm not much of a pig farmer, but I've been around enough pigs to know that they are filthy, dirty animals. And you can clean them up, but what's one of the first things they want to do? Go back to the mud. And I'm not trying to be gross, but Peter said it first. Dogs enjoy going back for seconds. 
And it makes no sense to us, but how many of us have done that with our life and our spirit? We have gone and we have gotten maybe even physically sick from some of our sins and our choices. And then what do we do? We go right back and, hmm, it's better the second time. Yeah, right. We tell ourselves that and we believe that lie. We fall right back into it. We go back to the vomit. We go back to the mud. And it can be enticing. Why? Because it's comfortable. Not because it tastes good, but because it's comfortable. Oh, I've eaten that before. Eat it again. I know what the mud's like. I don't like being clean. I've got some itches that need scratching. And so we go back and we wallow in the mud. And one of the best pictures of this, this is sort of where I'm wrapping things up, is from a movie called Shawshank Redemption. You guys remember that movie? Shawshank Redemption is about someone who's falsely accused and in prison. But one of his fellow inmates, a guy who had been in prison for pretty much his entire adult life, by this time he looks to be about late 70s, maybe even early 80s, and he's finally released. And he does not want to be released because it's all he knows. Everybody he loves on the outside is gone. And they make him leave prison. His name's Brooks. And he goes and he tries to adjust to society And he decides he's going to commit a crime, not because he wants to hurt anybody or not because he wants any money, but he wants to go back to prison where he is comfortable. And it ends very sadly for Brooks. But it was all he knew, and it was comfortable. And so I want you to hear this. Too often, you and I are tempted to be just like Brooks, and when life gets tough and we don't know how to fit in and adjust, it's hard to follow Jesus, and it's hard to tell the truth, and it's hard to stand for what's right. It can be really easy to just want to go back to our old way of life, because why? We know it's prison, we know it's four walls, but hey, it's four hots and a cot, and it's comfortable. And it's comfortable. At least I know it. And here's the truth that I want you to ingrain in your brain if you can. And it's going to be on the screen. May the freedom of the cross be more inviting to me than the prison of my comfort. May the freedom of the cross be more inviting to me than the prison of my comfort. Jesus died for all. So that we could be with him. So the challenge is for us to love truth, to share truth, and live truth. To tell as many people that Jesus loved them so much that they can be godly no matter what they've done, no matter what sin they've been caught up in, no matter what lies they've been deceived by, no matter what lies they've told, they can be free and they can have life. And it's up to us. Let's not go back to prison. Let's not go back to the mud. Let's not go back to our vomit. Let's not be a pig dog. Let's tell the truth and live the truth and share the truth and love. If you got something on your heart today, we'd love to talk with you. I'll be over the side. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you about the gospel, about giving your life to Jesus. But let's not leave here without deciding to live for the truth this day. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.